We're in a series entitled Together. And the thought of being together is foundational for a local church. We all have unique stories and unique backgrounds. And God has brought you here for just this time. You are here for a purpose. Have you ever driven through an area where it has the sign on the side of the road and it says, road work ahead, may say slow down, and you go from going 110 and you slow all the way down to the 40 kilometers an hour because that's the right thing to do. And I always encourage you, follow the road rules. But you drive through that construction zone and there's no one working. You can relate to this. And you drive through at the correct 40 kilometers an hour and there's no one there. And you may make a comment like I may have made once or twice or five times. I'm saying, where's the workers today? And then you drive through it again another day and another day and another. And there's no workers there. After a period of time, although it's against the law, you will just fly through that area and won't slow down at all. In a somewhat similar way, now remember I told you, follow the road rules. We often think about when God is at work and we don't feel like he's working the way that we want him to work. And there's a foundational principle. God is always at work in the world around us. But doesn't mean that we are always experiencing it or always feeling it or always in tune with the things of God. And over time, we may think to ourselves, where is God working in this situation? I'll just keep going through. He's not working the way that I want him to work, to my plan and to my purpose. And before long, we end up going through life not experiencing or not actually observing God at work. It was a foundational truth that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. The foundational truth that we talk about often is that you are not some grand cosmic accident. God knows who you are and he loves you and cares for you. Psalm 139 is probably my favorite psalm. I share often with my family and particularly with my girls as teenage girls grow up. But really, we all need this encouragement. And through this psalm, David, who wrote the psalm, talks about the fact that God knew him before he was even formed inside of his mother. The fact that God has thoughts, and he says, how wonderful are your thoughts for me, O God. And then he also lays out the fact of how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as he goes through this psalm, the last two verses, verses 23 and 24, he lays out his response. You hear all these amazing things. God knows you. He cares for you. He loves you. He's created you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. How do we respond? It says here, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, search me. He says, know me. He says, see me. He says, there, lead me. There's all these various things he's crying out to God saying, I need your work in my life. There's a huge difference between in your head saying God loves me and cares for me and actually truly experiencing it for yourself. 
And my prayer is every single one of you here this morning will not just know about God, but have a personal relationship with God, a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And through this series, we are working through a, the book of the Bible called Galatians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter number one to give you a very quick overview of what's taking place in this book. We have this phrase for today. Allow God to remove barriers to his plan and purpose. Allow God to remove barriers to his plan and purpose. We'll give you a background, the book of Galatians. It's, a, it's an area in modern-day Turkey that was a Roman province back 2,000 years ago. And a man named Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, went into this area and came through this area and began to tell people about Jesus. And there was an incredible response. Both Jewish people and also Gentiles turned from their old ways and began to follow Jesus Christ. Lives were transformed. Churches were started. That caught the attention of some of the religious leaders that made them mad. And they began to come behind Paul. And they drove Paul out. In fact, they drove him out, chased him out of town. They caught him. And they ended up throwing huge stones at Paul to the point where they thought he was dead. It's called being stoned to death. They threw stones at him, thought he was dead, left him out outside of the town, went back into the city. And sometime later, Paul woke up, I'm sure very sore and in pain, and walked to the next town and began teaching people about Jesus all over again. This start, this, these churches that were started were taught a foundational truth. They were to follow Jesus Christ and him alone. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have salvation. But these religious leaders that came behind that were against Paul began to teach these churches that you follow Jesus and the law. Jesus and Jewish custom. Jesus and the Jewish customs. They wanted to follow Jesus, but you had to become a Jew first. And then you can become a Christian. And Paul heard about this, and that's why he wrote the book of Galatians, because he could see this dividing the church and causing incredible division where it became a distraction from the truth, where you begin to follow the law and the religious practices, and you begin to look very spiritual, but in reality, you're very far from God. So Paul wrote a book to them, and he talks in the first chapter really strongly to these people. And he lays out a foundation, the fact that how shocked that he is that they're turning away from the truth. He begins to tell his own story, and he's very transparent in his own story. And he begins to talk about the fact of, of his own personal failures, his own personal sins, and how he came to know the Lord as his Savior. And our principle for today is this. A gospel-focused church will allow God to work. A gospel-focused church will allow God to work. God's the one that's going to have to do the work in our lives, not through eloquence, not through programs, not through just simply attending. God has to do the work in every single one of our lives. And you imagine for just a moment, what sort of impact can be made if we allow God to work, I want you to think through and just to, for just a moment, think through the impact of 
your own personal story. And there's things in your background and your history that you're probably not very proud of. And this is not a sharing time. We didn't stand up and we need to hear, tell me all the skeletons in your closet. Tell me your deepest, darkest failure. Right here, come, hmm, interested in your gossip. God can take your greatest failure, the thing you're most embarrassed about, and he can transform that and renew that through the gospel to turn into something that's ultimately used for his glory. That's exactly what's taking place in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul came along and he was telling his story, how he was an incredible religious leader, how he had been given permission to himself before he came to know Christ as his Savior. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a murderer of Christians. He broke up homes, getting permission to go and take families and rip them apart and throw people into prison. When people heard the name Saul, which he was known before Paul, they trembled. He was, it was a name that brought fear to people. Paul didn't stand up and say, that's who I am and I'm proud of it. He says, that's who I used to be. And in verse number 15, we have a beautiful transition, a simple little phrase in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, that says this, but when he, it's a very simple little phrase, but when when Jesus showed up. When Jesus showed up in the Apostle Paul's life, everything changed. He was literally on his way with letters of authority to go throw Christians into prison, and Jesus showed up, talked to him, transformed his life, and now he is going and telling people about the wonderful gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. But when he... And I want you to think about it in your life. Think about the thing that you don't want anyone else to know about because it's none of my personal business. Think about the person that you were B.C., as in before Christ. The person that you used to be. The person and the things that you've done. But when Jesus showed up, what did he do? There's a key phrase that's used throughout the the New Testament, the word gospel. The word gospel is literally a word that means the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this morning we have two points that talks about the fact that the gospel did and the gospel will. What did the gospel do? So looking back, the gospel did what in your life? And then looking forward, and then present and looking forward, we're looking at what the gospel will do in in your life. There's a phrase that I want you to remember, and it's a little bit confronting. As I said earlier, it's not about your gossip and wondering, hmm, what stories can I learn from you? But it's, it's this phrase and this thought, to own your pain. Another way of saying it is, own up to your failures. Own up to the fact that you're not perfect. Admit your fault. Because God can take that and transform it ultimately for His glory. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to try to go through this first part relatively quickly, which is the gospel did. And then I want to get to the second part, the gospel will, where we can begin to apply it to our lives and to see how it's practically lived out and the result and the impact that it can make. So let's begin. 
the gospel did. In Galatians chapter number 1, we'll read verses 15, 16, and also 24. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. When you study out the, the theologies and different ologies, the study of salvation is called soteriology. So we're expanding your word power today. And in soteriology, what they do is they take all the different verses of the Bible that talk about our salvation and the gospel. They put them together. They find patterns. And from that, we determine theology. And that's how we come to it. In other words, we don't just take a verse here and a verse there out of context. They put them all together, and that's how they come up with the theologies. And the gospel, foundationally, is come as you are, but not stay as you are. Come as you are, but it doesn't leave us where it found us. It does not stay as you are. The gospel comes in and it changes us and transforms us. And there's a word that's used in the New Testament when we're talking about receiving salvation. It's the word saved. The gospel did what? First of all, it saved you. It says in verse 15, When he set me apart before I was born. That phrase, set me apart, it's being set apart for a specific purpose. You ever thought to think of yourself like that, that you as an individual have been set apart for a specific purpose by God? In basic budgeting, when you know you have a bill coming up in the future, you should ideally set money aside. So therefore, when that bill comes along, it's not a surprise. Maybe you have a month like I do. There's a particular month of the year, May. For some reason, May is a bad month. It's my anniversary month. It's a wonderful month, but a bad month. Because all the bills seem to align on that particular month. I know about it, so I begin to plan for it. Now, it still hurts. But if I didn't plan well ahead, end of April come along, beginning of May, you go, what are we going to do? So what do you do? You set apart some funding beforehand so that you're ready for that horrible month of May. God here has set you apart. He says before you were born, he knew who you were and he set you apart for a purpose. He says, I know you. I love you. I've made my salvation available to you before you were even born. So the gospel did. First of all, it saved. The gospel did. You are saved by what? Saved by grace. Grace is a wonderful gift. The end of verse 15 says, Who called me by his grace. Grace is God's favor upon the undeserving. You ever received a gift when you totally didn't deserve it or expect it? And you receive a gift and you go, That's absolutely wonderful. I had no idea. I didn't expect it at all. Particularly, my wife's really good at this. She's incredibly thoughtful and she thinks way ahead. And if you make one little phrase, I have to be really careful what I comment on right now because in 11 months' time, it's going to be purchased and I'm going to find it for next Christmas. And it'll be under the tree. If I make some little comment, like, mm, that's nice. She files that away and she, she ends up, you know, you think to yourself, what is this? You said you liked it. 11 months ago, I said I liked it. 
Some people are incredibly thoughtful. Others of us just wait for December 23rd or 4th, depending on how stressed our weeks are, and we get whatever we thought is most thoughtful at the time. God here, before we were even born, had a plan and purpose for you. He says, I have my unmerited favor that's given to, for you. That's how we are saved, saved by grace. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The gospel did. We were saved, saved by grace, but also saved through Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, was pleased to reveal his son to me. That little phrase, reveal, is a beautiful little phrase. As I studied it out, the theology behind that word reveal just began to, we could do an entire message series because that word reveal has the understanding to become acquainted with Jesus. How are we saved? We became acquainted with God. We now have a relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe through Jesus Christ. We don't know just about God. Like we don't just have head knowledge about God. Now we have an intimate and personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel did. Jesus Christ revealed. Now we are acquainted with Jesus. We're saved through Jesus Christ. And the gospel did save you for a purpose. Verse 16 continues on, was pleased to reveal his son in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In order that God has a plan and a purpose for your salvation. For the Apostle Paul, it was very, something very specific. He was called to do something that for him was absolutely the opposite of anything else that he had planned. I have no doubt as a young Pharisee, as a young Jewish religious leader growing up, he would never have considered associating with Gentiles. The understanding is that he would never even eat with them. He would never consider them. They was focused upon the Jewish people. And God, in his wonderful sense of humor, says, I'm going to take you and transform your desires. And now your desires are going to be my desires. You're going to go out and tell the very people you would never have associated with before about me. He was called specifically to share the good news of the gospel with Gentile people. You have a specific plan and purpose given by God. The gospel gave that to you. When I was in Bible college, certain times in your life when you have these aha moments, where the little proverbial light bulb goes off above your head, and you remember the, that's something I'll never forget. And there's times in your life when you've learned various things, and you look back upon anything, that's a time that I learned something, and it's transformed the way I view the rest of my life. When I was in Bible college, everyone had to take this particular course called the Biblical Foundations of Missions. Basically, it was a, as a missions philosophy course. In other words, we're talking about how and what's the attitude about world missions, about our attitude and the way that God sees the world. And there was a particular phrase that was used. The phrase was that you are blessed to be a blessing. As a 19-year-old, I remember learning that. I remember exactly where I was sitting in the class. It was right in the middle. 
I wasn't a back row person. I wasn't a front row person. I was right in the middle. Hearing that and going, I'm never going to forget that. You're blessed to be a blessing. Now you've heard it. And the thought behind that is God has given you your gifts and abilities and opportunities, not just to build yourself up, but so that you can help other people also. You can be a blessing and encouragement. You are saved by the gospel for a purpose. And ultimately, the purpose is defined, as we see the last point is, saved for God's glory. Verse 24 says, And they glorified God because of me. Whatever your specific plan and purpose is given to you by God begins with your salvation through the gospel. And then from that, how God uses you to ultimately bring others to glorify Him is varied. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it's one of those verses where you think, sometimes, and I'll be very transparent here, you kind of wish the Bible didn't have that in there so that you would have the excuse to be grumpy sometimes and to be the excuse not to follow this. But it says this, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And let's make that really practical. We'll talk about doing chores around the house. Whenever you do the laundry, do all to the glory of God. When I have you vacuum, do all for the glory of God. And you start thinking about the seemingly regular and mundane things that you really don't enjoy doing. You think, somehow I can turn this around. God, this isn't just for me. I'm not just doing this because it has to be done. Somehow, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for my family and ultimately lead them to glorify God too. God did through the gospel. But just like an infomercial... They often say, but there's more. And the same thing, the gospel did that. You are saved. If you follow through the gospel and you, you place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've repented of your sin, the Bible says you will be saved. But what will the gospel do as a result of that? The Apostle Paul, something had to remarkably had to happen in his life. That phrase, allow God to remove barriers to his plan and purpose. The Apostle Paul had to do that in his own life. You think about who he was before Christ and the thought of, I was a murderer, I was a persecutor, people were afraid of me, I helped rip families apart, I go in and kick doors in and drag people off to prison because of their faith. And now I am one of the leaders of that very faith and that very church that I, that I used to persecute. You imagine the reputation, the things in his mind and the barriers of, of moving forward. And you think in your own life about when God prompts you, go do this, go speak to that person, go help this person. And you instantly think, I can't do that. And you start listing off all of your failures. What will the gospel do? And how can it help bring us together? The gospel will, when we allow God to remove barriers to his plan and purpose, first of all, the gospel will, in verse number 15, it says, but when he, that phrase again, gospel is come as you are, but does not stay as you are. First of all, it will redeem your past. It will take your past and buy it back and redeem it. The Apostle Paul had a reputation. 
he had brought fear. And you imagine him bringing and standing before people and saying, Jesus loves you, but I used to be, I used to hate you. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But Paul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked of him letters to the synagogues of Damascus. Why? So that if he found any belonging to the way, or that is Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was Paul's past. God, through the gospel, will buy back and redeem your past. That same authority that he had, that brought him to the point of having authority, the training that he had, the people that he knew, you know, that he as training, he would have gone to the most successful schools of the day. He would have sat at the most, the preppiest prep schools of the day, and he would have learned the scriptures inside and out. God didn't waste that knowledge. He turned it around and ultimately used it for God's glory. He redeemed his past. God can do the same thing in your life. Release your present. When you allow God to remove barriers to his plans and purpose, it releases your today, releases it for your ultimate good. We all have battles in life. It would be foolish of us to say that we all live happy, easy lives. There are some serious battles that take place in every single one of our lives. Three of the battles we'll look at this morning. First of all, the battle with sin. And when you're in church, it's so easy to say, how are you today? I'm just fine. I'm wonderful. And we all look sharp and everything's going smooth. And inside we're going, I'm really battling. Can you imagine what the difference would be if you could take that and, and someone comes along and says, I'm really battling with, I'll use lust as an example. A man comes to another man and says, I'm really battling with lust. You could say, well, that's too bad for you. I'll pray for you. Or you could say, you know what? I suffer with that too. How about we keep each other accountable? Let's go to the word of God. Let's pray together. Let's keep each other accountable so that we can grow together. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He talked about some transparency and he says, I suffer too. I'm not perfect. In verse 15, he says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. He says, I say I want to do right, but I end up doing wrong. And I do it again and again and again. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I think we all suffer through that. He goes on in verse number 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That doesn't mean that he couldn't do good. That doesn't mean that he wasn't loved. But in and of himself, he says, I'm just keep doing wrong and wrong and wrong. That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. I keep doing wrong when I say that I want to do right. Now, we're, when we come to church on Sunday, it's often easy to seem like we're doing right. But in reality, you may be suffering through this even today. And verse 23 continues on. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There's a war that's waging within us. 
Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? No one enjoys the feeling of feeling bad about when we do wrong. But there's a biblical word behind that, the word conviction. And conviction is something we can actually thank God for. Because conviction is the Holy Spirit guiding us and telling us when we're doing wrong to bring us back. So rather than suppressing and saying, I should never feel bad about when I do wrong, I should only feel good, embrace that and say, God, what are you wanting to teach me through this? Rather than denying that you are struggling, embrace it and say, God, how can I learn from this? How can I accept your forgiveness and move beyond this? And how can you help others through that? A person comes to you and they say, I'm going through a health issue. I'm really struggling with a particular health issue. And you can say, I'll pray for you, which I hope we will. But, but beyond that, you can come along and say, I had some health issues too. I, can, I feel what you're feeling. I understand your struggles. My life's not perfect either. I'll pray with you. Let's go along together with this. That's what the Apostle Paul felt. He had a choice whether he could be filled with pride because of his great ability and great knowledge, or he could actually admit his inability and allow God to work through that inability, ultimately for his glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelation. In other words, I have a pride problem. And so to keep me humble, what did God do? A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. It says in verse number eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now, I don't think those are three sentence prayers of God. Please remove this. God, please remove this. God, please remove this. I believe he probably had times of prayer and fasting. He probably got other people to pray with them through a prayer meeting, asking God to remove this physical ailment. And God spoke to the Apostle Paul, which totally transformed his view of his present circumstances. He goes on and says, in verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, the weaker you are, the greater God seems. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He had a new clarity and perspective on his, his present inabilities. We have a battle with sin. We have a battle with our health. We also have a battle with reputation. You can't control what someone else thinks about you, but you can control your actions and your response to what people do. In the book of Acts, we see that people were afraid of Paul. The people heard of, of his past. They thought of his reputation, and they were afraid of him. Paul went off after being saved and went off into the wilderness and was taught by the Lord for a number of years. But in Jerusalem, they remembered him and they had not forgotten. Years and years later, they remembered this man who had ripped apart families. They remember the, that terror of his name when they, they thought about him. You think about things of your past. You think about the things that terrify you. Years and years pass and they, you can still feel those feelings. 
You feel that person that's hurt you in the past and you can still feel that knot in your stomach when you think of that person or that circumstance. That's the reputation that Paul had. And in Galatians chapter number 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it. He had a reputation of being a persecutor, but they were hearing a new reputation. They were hearing this reputation that he was now a person that preached the gospel. Because the gospel will redeem your past. It will release your present It will recreate your future when we allow God to remove the barriers to his plan and purpose. The Apostle Paul allowed God to remove those barriers. It wasn't something that he could do by himself. God had to do something miraculous. God had to change people's minds and bring forgiveness in their lives also. I'm just going to read Galatians chapter 1 verse 24. That says, and they glorified God because of me. He used to be a persecutor and a destroyer of the churches. Now he was a preacher of the gospel. And the result was they glorified God. If Paul had remained in his past, he may have been saved, but he would have lived in the man that I was a murderer. I was a persecutor. He, he was a man that had been forgiven. But he didn't glorify in his sinfulness of the past, but he allowed God to use it. And he was open and transparent. You imagine if he would have denied the fact that he was a persecutor? No, that wasn't me. No, I never persecuted the church. I never murdered anybody. That wasn't me. That was somebody else. He embraced it and said, that's who I used to be. But when Jesus showed up, everything changed. And every single one of us has a unique story. We have a unique background. We have a lifetime of failures and a lifetime of successes. And we're happy to share our successes, but sometimes I believe we can leverage our failures, leverage our past so that we can ultimately be a blessing to others. And imagine the unity that can come about when we realize that none of us are perfect. And what can God do in and through your life to be a blessing to others? We never find that Paul glorified his sin, but he did allow God to use it. Paul went on and had two more missionary journeys, led, as the scriptures give account, tens of thousands of people to the Lord, started many, many churches. He continued on and wrote the majority of the New Testament. He went and stood before the other apostles and defended the faith. And he stood before kings and defended the faith. All this took place because he was willing to say, here's who I used to be, but when Jesus showed up, then I've changed. Now I'm a new person. I'm going to close with a passage in Ephesians chapter number 4. And maybe as we're sitting here, you've been thinking about some of the things of your past that you're not proud of. And I'm not interested in hearing your story in regards to, hmm, tell me your story so I can make me feel good about it. But maybe it's something that you can use to be a blessing to others. Maybe there's an account or something that happened in your past. You can say, that happened to me too. Let's work on this together. You can be a blessing to someone. You can use it and allow God to use it to lead someone else to Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter number 4 Verse 22 through 24 says to put off the old self, which belongs to your 
former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. My prayer for our church is that as we work together in unity, that we will allow our unique stories to allow God to work through those unique stories to be the people that God created us to be. In a moment, we're going to pray, then we're going to sing a song, and of course, after that, you will be dismissed. But don't let this moment pass. Let God work in your heart even now. Maybe God's brought a particular circumstance in your mind. Say, God, thank you for forgiving me of that. Help me to let you leverage that to be a blessing to ultimately bring glory to you.